0: In sixth grade, I attended a small Christian school right here in town. It was K through twelve, all in one schoolroom. And sixth grade Daniel, he embodied mischief and ADHD, and it only took him four months to get kicked out of that school. The final straw was I was in the sitting and I was sitting in the back of class, right underneath the clock. And I was bored, and I figured everyone would be better off if we went to recess. And so when the teacher wasn't looking, I just simply fast forwarded the clock to get out to recess. Now, at that time in my immaturity, I I viewed my behavior as something that that wasn't that big a deal. I mean, my actions weren't really hurting anyone else. But as you mature, you begin to see the effects of your behaviors and your decisions, and you're not so self-focused. Well, today we're about to completely change gears in this book of Ephesians. Paul is about to get very specific in some ways that, that we're to live and in some ways that were to stop living now oftentimes in our spiritual immaturity we'll read a passage like the one we're going to cover today and we will just completely remain unchanged by it but for many of us it's time to grow up a little bit in our spiritual life and we're gonna go through this today I'm gonna to show you a perspective That once you see it, it will completely change the way that you view the do's and do not's, the should and shouldn'ts of this book. It'll change the way we view the rules and commandments that God calls us to. Paul's also going to reveal why why so many of us struggle with a cold and passionless faith. And calls us to something more robust and more real. So join me as we continue our study of Ephesians 4. We're going to start in verse 17. I'm going to jump right in. Paul says, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live like the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. He says, so I tell you this, in other words, therefore, because of all the huge things I just told you about the unity in the body of Christ and equipping and building one another up, live in this way. Like, like walk, your behavior should come into alignment. He says, don't live like a Gentile. Now, he just got done talking about racial healing here. So he's not talking about um, a, a race of people. He's actually, this is a word that they would use for heathen or pagan. It's simply someone who doesn't follow God. A non-believer, a non-follower of Jesus. He says, says this because of your belief in Jesus, stop behaving like somebody who doesn't believe. He says, there's a futility, futility in their thinking. Futility is a frustrated effort. It's it's, it's effort with no fruit and no hope of any. Now, the futility is in their thinking, not because their mind isn't working, but because it is working, but in a way that doesn't align with the destiny God called them to. You see, it pursues vastly different values than, than God's way of living. For example, I believe each person was created and that Jesus died to give us each an opportunity for salvation. Because of this, we have intrinsic and great worth to God. I view people differently because of that belief. And if I believe in an afterlife that has consequences and rewards, then I live with the end in mind and I view people around me through that eternal perspective. And I want my friends, I want my family to, to enjoy an afterlife in heaven. If I believe I have a role to play in getting people to heaven, then I therefore view my purpose and my conversations much differently than someone who doesn't believe that. But if I don't hold those eternal beliefs, then, well, let pleasure be my goal. And gathering the most experiences and the most material possessions and toys, let that be my ends and means. You see, there's a futility because without a perspective of heaven, the temporary things become vastly more important. Futility, because no matter how big I build my empire, it still fades and I take none of it with me into the next life. Futility, because my life is is simply like building the best sandcastle I can on the beach when the tide's coming in. It's all gonna pass. Verse 18 They, those who don't follow Jesus, are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Now, Paul's being pretty blunt here. We're going to take this as it comes. But he says this word darkened. They're darkened in their understanding. This word is used three times in the New Testament. And the the other two times are referring to end times, cataclysmic happenings. And this is a preamble of that. Darkened thinking and understanding leads to a darkened destination. People who say no their whole life to God, when their life is over, he allows them to continue with their decision. Darkened, not enlightened, not illuminated by, by the salvation of Jesus, the light of the world. And it says they're separated, they're, they're, they're shut out of fellowship, they're excluded. God is calling their life. He's calling them to come to grace, to come come live in his blessing. But they have excluded themselves because they have not acknowledged God in their mind or their heart. And then finally we have this, it says, in the hardening of their heart. Notice it doesn't say a hard heart. It says hardening. A heart that continues to grow rougher and rougher. A heart that continues to harden itself against the invitation of God. Because of this, verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. Let's break this down. They've lost all sensitivity. This means their heart has become calloused. They've lost the inability to feel grief or pain spiritually in alignment with God's kingdom. It also means just an apathetic. Their, Their hearts are calloused in apathy towards God. You know, one, spark, one, one mark of spiritual immaturity is a callousness toward the ways of God. An increasing okayness with sin. In your life, are there places or, or secret pet sins that you used to feel bad about? Like you used to feel conviction and used to actually fight there, but at some point you lost all sensitivity you developed calluses on your heart, and now you've given yourself over without much fight, honestly, to the sin, without much conviction after. This is what Paul is speaking about as he describes an area of our life. This is the, the place to pray for God to increase our spiritual maturity. that He would return us to, to a sensitive heart to Him. That, that what breaks God's heart? Well, that would break our heart. Paul says, because they have lost all sensitivity, it says they have handed themselves over to sensuality. Sensuality is shamelessness, lust, pursuing whatever pleasure is available at the moment. The word describing this is hedonism, which is the pursuit of self-indulgence above all things, pleasure above all things. And finally, Paul says that, that they are full of greed. The pursuit of material gain and so lust and greed. And so putting all this together, the hallmarks of someone who's not pursuing God is the pursuit of physical pleasure and material gain. This highlights the futility because these are two pillars of life that people pursue most. And it's futile because you can't take any of those things with you to the next life. Pleasure and material gain are completely Temporal, Lust is not only temporal, it's temporary. I mean, lust demands you, you satisfy it now. It's a fleeting moment, but then it's going to flare right back up. And greed and material possessions is something you can't take any of that with you. Neither of these have any reward, any production, any value in the next life. The person who is living for their now to have their desires fulfilled. Now, I mean, this, this is just absolutely true of our culture as you see it get what you can, find your truth, pursue what makes you happy, refuse to settle for anything less than happiness, as if if happiness was our culture's highest value. After this, Paul turns to his audience and says, that way of living, however, is not the way of life that you learned. In other words, Jesus has showed you a different way of living than that. Verse 21, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. You heard the truth. You were taught the truth. Now, notice it says the truth, not your truth. And this is a very sticky subject, and this might give me some hate mail this week. Our culture has devolved into this belief that, that each person has their own personal truth. That truth is, is relative not absolute. Your truth may be that you believe the moon is made of cheese. That's your relative truth. That's your truth that you found. Another's truth may be that the moon is the the goddess Luna who, who causes the snow to fall and causes bread to rise. And they're glad you found your truth. And both these people can have a conversation about the moon and leave feeling good because they have massaged each other's truths. But the Bible doesn't speak in relative truths that humanity gets to construct. It speaks of a higher truth, a truth that God ordained. And in fact, speaking and um, believing my personal relative truth may be the very thing that, that keeps me in my immaturity and others around me in immaturity. You see, when somebody joins the conversation about the moon and says, well, actually, the moon is the fifth largest satellite in the solar system and the Earth's only permanent satellite, has a diameter of about 2,159 miles. It has 0.17 to earth gravity, and it's made up of dense rocks of iron and magnesium. To which someone might respond, well, yeah, that's just your opinion, man. I mean, I'm glad you found your truth, but my truth is that it's made of cheese. You see, in a world where the small t truth that we construct for our own comfort, and then there's the capital T truth of God that's absolute whether we agree with it or not and the bible asks us to adjust our lives to the truth not the relative truth that that changes based on opinions the absolute truth that is unchanging despite opinion because see, you can stand in the middle of an interstate and you can tell me that you've you've found your truth that you don't believe in semi-trucks But that relative truth is is not going to save you from the absolute 18 wheels of absolute truth. And that's the point here. The capital T truth, the truth of God, is something that when heard, when we hear God's truth, we must either adjust or justify our life. You've heard me say this before, perhaps. When God's truth enters the equation, I can adjust my life to align with it, or i continue to justify being out of alignment with it. And so as we hear Paul's message today, the question is not whether or not I agree with it. Th- that, that's relative. It's not whether or not I agree with it. It, it. Paul's speaking inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is divine, absolute truth. The question is, will we adjust our lives to this? Or will we hear this and just justify our continued way of living? Now Paul, guided by the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth continues in the way we're to live. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, God's truth, verse 22, throw off the old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Throw, out, throw off, like cast aside that behavior. Cast away the, the way you used to live now that you're learning about Jesus, now that you've, before you've learned about the truth of Jesus, your old self, it's corrupted, it's corroded. Put it aside. Instead, he says, led by the Holy Spirit, he says, renew your thoughts and attitudes. Be made new in the attitude of your mind. Paul is saying something that correlates directly to Romans 12 two, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The pattern of this world versus the calling of God. One calls you to a divine destiny with eternal worth and the other pulls at you into a futile life wasted, spent on temporary pleasure and materials that all are going to fade. Paul says in verse 24, put on the new self created to be like God in righteousness and holiness." Put off the old self, put on the new self. He says this, he says, put on the new self which is created to be like God. That's just staggering. Put off your old self and put on this new self created to be like God. Huh. Paul tells us that, that it's, it's like God in two ways. He, he mentions two ways it's, it's like God. It's righteousness and holiness. And righteousness is a word that means a state of being that is approved by God, accepted by God. You must be righteous to enter heaven. You must be approved, acceptable. And so you're called to righteousness. In the parable of the prodigal son, the boy comes home destitute and filthy from his former life. And what does the father do? The father runs out and puts his royal robe over his son. The robe of the Father declaring that this is my boy, and despite all that he's done in the past, my righteousness makes him approved. He is acceptable. God's grace covers our sin. God's grace, Jesus' work, gives us righteousness. Paul is about to go through some things that we should cease to do, to avoid, to remove, to, to do a moral inventory of our daily behavior. He says this in verse 25, Therefore... Because we're we're clothed in righteousness. Put that on. He says, Each of you must, again, put off falsehood and speak truthfully to others. For we're all members of one body. After these big, huge truths, Paul gets down to some specifics. Don't lie. Instead, speak truthfully to people. He continues, In your anger, do not sin. I mean, anger isn't the sin, but, but from anger come so many regrettable decisions, actions, and words. And sometimes in your anger, the best thing you could do or say is, it's just nothing. Work to resolve your anger. That day, if possible, verse 27 says that if you, revol- if you resolve your anger, then you will not give the devil a foothold. If you resolve your anger, you won't give the devil a foothold. This is important. You see, our anger at others gives the devil, our enemy, a foothold in our life. A foothold means a space that is marked off, a marked off space, a reserved area. If your anger continues unresolved, the enemy starts renting space in your life. You have a tenant in your head who has zero good intentions for you. And so we have to ask ourselves, this is important, who are you angry at? and be honest, who is it when you think of that person, you just start to seethe? Ugh. It may be an ex, it may be a politician, maybe a coworker. it could be anyone. But if your anger continues to seethe over that person, guess what? It's not that person who's suffering. It's not that politician or that ex who's carrying the burden. It's to you. And not only is that person living rent-free in in your head, but the enemy moves in, marks off some space in your life. And that territory can expand as your bitterness grows. One of the greatest adjustments you could make from today, based on Paul's instructions here, is to simply set that person free from your anger and find out that, that you're actually setting yourself free in the process. You see, the enemy of God may have a foothold in your life based on the, your anger at someone else. It's time to kick him out and have the power of grace and forgiveness be extended to that very person. And kick the enemy out. Paul continues with some more specific instructions. He says this, anybody who's been stealing, stop it. Stop stealing. Instead, get a job. Do something useful with your own hands so that you can have something to give away to those in need. Uh, Stop taking and instead earn and give. The darkened mind, Paul mentions, wants to gain as much as it can at all costs. But the enlightened spirit that Jesus has, has awakened does the opposite. It gives things away. It couldn't be more opposite, these two cultures, the pattern of this world and the calling of God on people are completely opposite. Verse 29 continues, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their need, that it may benefit all who, those who listen. Church body, speak life to one another. And notice it says, according to their need. Speak in a way that, that helps build them up specifically, uniquely. Don't have a one-size-fits-all encouragement. T- to do this, you have to truly see the person, and you have to truly know the person to know what, what words would build them up specifically. And, and the next verse brings context to the entire thing. Verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Here we find the reason Paul lists off these things, and he says, don't do these things. Stop. But it isn't a spreadsheet just to check off. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts. There's more going on here. And this is the big difference I want to focus on, the difference between religion and following Jesus. A religion is an experience of conforming your behavior to a list of do's and do nots. You earn favor with your good deeds You lose favor with your sins. And for many people, they've joined a religion of Christianity and have worked very hard to behave rightly based on some lists that they think are in the Bible or maybe just in their church. They're interfacing with a star chart that they think exists in heaven. The saddest part of this is that religion does not save you And, and religion cannot sustain you in the dark valleys of life. Adhering to a list of behaviors will not comfort you when tragedy hits. Your faith will be greatly shaken. And if 2020 and the losses that you've experienced have shaken your faith, it could be because you have placed it in a religion of sin management. Like just going through life trying to manage your sin. Doing good and not doing as much bad. Trying to work the list and the star chart. But God never called you to a star chart. God never called you to a list. Instead, he calls you to a relationship with Jesus. And in context of a relationship, everything Paul is saying here that we should and shouldn't do are in a completely different paradigm, completely different context. A religious list can't hold you in a dark valley. And that's why Psalm 23 says this, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil For you are with me. Those four words change the entire experience of a dark valley. That God is with us in this. That there's a relationship. Following Jesus is a completely different experience than conforming to a religious list of do's and do not's. And if your spiritual fire is cold, if your conviction is calloused, if your faith is shaken, if your, if your worship is boring, and if your prayers are, are passionless, then it could be that we've chosen a religious list over a relationship with Jesus. You see, when you follow Jesus in a relationship and you read the Bible, through that lens of love, every thou shalt not in the Bible is, is viewed immediately different. Because we are doing, or I'm sorry, because what we are doing or not doing, is not out of duty, but it's out of devotion, it's out of love for our Savior. And here's how, you know, um, I was married previously in Atlanta before I moved back here, and married my wife Amy. And uh, I'll spare you the details, but my my former spouse was unfaithful throughout our time together. Our marriage was not viable. And, um, and being betrayed by my spouse at that time was the most intense pain I had ever experienced. I didn't think I would ever get married again. I didn't know if I wanted to. I didn't know if I ever wanted to let anybody hurt me like that again. But God moved, as He does. And He brought redemption to my life. And Amy and I were actually talking about unfaithfulness just this past week. You know, she's a former counselor, and me a pastor. We've seen the effects of... of unfaithfulness up close in both of our work. Um, Before my experience in Atlanta, um, thou shalt not cheat on your spouse was a rule. And one, I I intended to keep it. I worked to keep it. But sitting there with Amy, having felt the intense pain of someone hurting me that deeply, I have a different perspective on that rule. You see, I don't ever want to be unfaithful to Amy. And not because of some do or do not. But because I love her so much, and I never want her to feel a pain like I felt. Here's the bottom line. I don't follow that rule out of religious adherence. I follow it because I love my wife. I don't want to grieve my wife's heart. And Paul says here, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, which immediately puts our behavior in context of a loving relationship where somebody can be grieved by what we do, Or do not do. You see, every rule in the Bible, instead of an impersonal list, realize that it's all in context of a relationship with God. The disciples, they got to to follow Jesus. They got the privilege of, of, of something we don't. They got to look into his eyes. You know, they got to see his smile. They got to see his tears. And so when Jesus told them in John 14, verse 15, he says, if you love me, obey my commands they experience that coming in a loving relationship. And we need to recapture this if we're going to have a faith that remains robust and thriving. And Jesus looks at you with love in his eyes and he says, My daughter, my son, if you love me, do what I ask. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't hurt others. Don't give in to lust. Or as Paul finishes in verse 31 here, he says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, and harsh words, and slander as well as all types of evil behavior. I see, when you read through that lens, with, with the, when you read through that list with the lens of relationship, and you don't want to grieve God's spirit, it changes things. You won't be motivated to get rid of those things because, well, the Bible tells me to. I guess I better conform to it. Instead, you'll be motivated to rid your life of those things be, because you love your Savior, because He loves you, and you don't want to grieve your beloved. God calls us to to put a new life, to put on a new life that that He's created. God calls us to to throw aside the sinful life that we used to live for, that we're used to wearing. God calls us to follow Him in holiness, setting our sin aside. But not out of duty, instead out out of loving devotion. Your assignment this week is to go back through these verses here, this passage that we covered in Ephesians 4, 17. And in the context of love, a loving relationship, ask yourself, have I become calloused to sin? Is my heart hardening toward the voice of the Spirit? Am I grieving the Holy Spirit with my continued callousness? For me, I I took a moment and I visualized the face of Jesus. And I apologize for my callousness and my sinfulness. I visualized his faith simply because I want to reframe all of this into a relationship where where I can see him. I put it in terms of a relationship where I'm actually following Jesus, not conforming to a list of do's and do nots. And Jesus, in his great love, I mean, he smiled at me, he forgave me, and he called me to follow him in a new personal way. Church... Let's drop our religious interfacing and let's walk with Jesus in a renewed relationship. Let us come to know him in a new way as we relate to him as, as, our, as our savior. Let our prayer life become more and more conversational. Let's carve out, let's carve off the calluses uh, from the years of sin, the places that we have come okay with our sin. And with a tender heart, let's obey Jesus because we love him. Orchard, our behavior is important, and we're called to cast aside sinful ways. And this message isn't popular, but if we're to mature spiritually, it is important. And if we're to become more spiritually mature, we need to to adjust to the truth. So if you would pray with me now, for those of you who, who have a faith in Jesus, but who know that you have some calluses and some coldness, let's pray together. Say, say, God, forgive me for my calloused and hardening heart. Renew a sensitive heart. Forgive my sins. I want to follow you in a relationship. Amen. And for any of you out there today who are joining us, who you haven't yet taken that step to receive Jesus, to to choose Jesus and salvation, you you can resolve that right now by praying with me. Pray this out loud. Say, Jesus, I know you died and rose again. Forgive me my sins. I give you my heart. I give you my life. I want to follow you in relationship. Holy Spirit, fill me now. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you're there in your home or, or gathered with your home or growth group, maybe, I want you to take a moment after this for communion. So maybe you pause the video or whatever you need to do, but go get the elements for communion and be reminded at the price for this relationship that it cost Jesus greatly so that we can have this free gift. And, and in that in that moment, sitting there holding the elements of the symbols of His blood and His body, ask forgiveness for those sins. Ask forgiveness for those places you're out of alignment. Ask, ask forgiveness for the callousness in our heart. Let's, let's renew our, our vow to, to follow Him in a relationship with loving devotion. Let's be that, that, that church of people who follow Him out of a fully devoted heart. Orchard, I love you. I'm praying for you. Love God and love people.